All right, Matthew chapter 24. Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 24. And this is accurate. Our passage is verses 32 to 41. But if you're taking notes and you actually use your notes in the future, I would actually add 42 on there also because we're going to steal from it a little bit. It's actually in the next lesson. But 42, verse 42 is kind of the big point. So you could go ahead and use that or add that to your verses. Now, um, have any of you ever been taking a test and like halfway through the test or maybe not even halfway? Maybe you just get a little bit into it and you realize you are totally unprepared and you are going to do very, very bad on that. You, it's happened, it's happened, it's a bad feeling, right? Like you get to like question three or four and you start to sweat because you're like, oh no, I have no clue what is going on and I'm going to absolutely bomb this test. It's a bad feeling, right? Or like maybe a play that you're involved with. Anybody ever been in evol- involved in a play and like you get to the, it's time for your line and you're just totally unprepared? And you have no idea what you're about to say or what you're supposed to say or what you're supposed to do. It's a bad feeling, right? Like anybody, anytime there's a major event, a major test, something going on, and you are totally inadequately prepared, it's a really bad feeling, isn't it? Well, what about the flip side? What about when you are absolutely, it feels good, right? You step into a situation, be it a test, a play, uh, athletic competition, and you're totally prepared. It feels good. You feel ready and you feel excited, right? It's the exact same thing when we get to the end of times and the tribulation comes. It is going to feel incredible to be prepared for that moment and to be ready for that moment. But to not be ready for that moment, failing a test, the feeling of bombing and failing a test or getting just totally destroyed in a game or doing very poorly in your play, that feeling will be nothing compared to what it'll be to be unprepared when Christ returns. It's all about whether or not you are prepared. Same thing with the tribulation to come when Christ returns How that experience feels is totally dependent on whether or not you are prepared. And so the past few weeks, we've been looking at a portion of Scripture, Matthew 24, and going into 25 here in the next couple of weeks, that is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. And don't lose sight of the big picture of where we're at in Matthew. This is the week leading up to the crucifixion of Christ that Matthew is recording for us. So when we're looking at chapters 24 and 25, we're looking at some of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he went to the cross. And that's exactly who Jesus is talking to in Matthew chapter 24. He's talking to his disciples, and he's let them in on the coming of his kingdom. And he's let them in on the fact that this current world system is coming to an end and the kingdom of God is ready to be established. But the thing is, the kingdom of God, 
the kingdom of Christ will come at the end of the present times. And so when they ask, hey, Jesus, when is this all going to take place? In their minds, they're thinking soon. Like this is going to happen in the next few weeks, the next few months, maybe the next few years. Um, but they think this is going to happen soon. And so when they ask Jesus, when is this all going to take place? This current world system coming down, the kingdom of Christ established on this earth. And Jesus starts talking to them about the distant future, about the end of time, the end of this world. It might be somewhat of a surprise for them. And, of course, everybody wants to know when. So one of the first things that Jesus really talks about in chapter 24 are the signs of when all this is going to take place. In chapter 24, verses 1 to 31, what we've looked at so far, Jesus tells his disciples about the signs that will accompany the end times, the coming of Christ, the, the time when Christ returns to this earth and establishes his end kingdom. That's been the focus of what Jesus has talked about up until this point. Verse 32 in Matthew 24 is the signs of the end times. But now, as we get to verse 32, Jesus is going to shift the focus to a new focus that will take up the next few weeks in our study of Matthew. And the shift in focus is going to be from the signs that the end is near to how we are supposed to live in anticipation that the end is near. That's going to be where our focus now turns. How should we live? And this morning, Jesus is just going to give us some broad overarching themes, so, some big concepts for, we, for us to hold on to. And then in the next few lessons, he's going to go into some parables, some parables that illustrate, as followers of Christ, how are we supposed to live in anticipation of his return? The theme for really the next few lessons, but this morning especially, is, oh, it's no big deal, either way. Live in anticipation of his return. Now, we're going to have to flesh that out in the coming weeks, okay? So this is kind of just a broad, overarching concept, because this is kind of a generic idea, right? Like, live in anticipation of the, the return of Christ. Like, what does that really mean, and what does that really look like, and how do we uh, do that from day to day? you, you got to stick with us for the next few weeks, because as Jesus goes into these parables, he's going to be explaining that more deeply. But before we talk more deeply about exactly what it looks like, he's going to stress to us the importance this morning of just we need to live in anticipation of his return. And so our first point this morning, verses 32 and 34, be alert to the times. Verses 32 to 34, be alert to the times. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read for us the whole passage. And again, I'm going to steal verse 42 and kind of um, incorporate it into what we're going to talk about because verse 42 really does a good job of just summarizing everything that Jesus is teaching this morning. But I'm going to read verses 32 to 42, and then we'll focus for our first point on just verses 32 to 34. So Jesus says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. 
When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. And here's the whole point in verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day our Lord is coming. Verses 32 to 34, our first part here, be alert to the times. Jesus has been spending a lot of of time in chapter 24 telling us what to expect as the end draws near. What will be the signs that the end is approaching? And remember, he's not telling us this just to entertain us, right? Or like because of some morbid curiosity. You have people, when it comes to the end times, like they just have a fascination with it, right? Like, ooh, this is interesting, the end of the world. I want to know as much about it as I can, and I want to study it just purely out of academic interest. But that's not why Jesus is spending time teaching his disciples what the end is going to look like. The bigger reason that Jesus is teaching them about what the end will look like is because it should impact how they get prepared. And that's the key for all of us, right? Like, it should impact how we get prepared, how we live. It's not just to entertain us or because we're fascinated with the end of the world. The, the signs that Jesus has been sharing and highlighting should stir this anticipation in us, this action in us. And there's really two sets of signs, because we've been talking about, up until this point, really two periods of time, two sets of signs for two periods of time, right? Um, there's the current age that we're living in right now, And there's signs that Jesus talks about there, and that's really verses 4 to 5. I'm sorry, 4 to 8 of Matthew chapter 24. But after this current age that we're living in comes the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation that Matthew has been talking about. And it's after that we get the second coming of Christ with his 1,000-year reign on this earth. And so verses 4 to 8, the signs that Jesus were talking about there are the signs that really come with the age that we live in now. False Christ, wars, natural disasters, a lot of the terrible things that we see every single day. When we see these things, these terrible things, and these characteristics of lawlessness, it is a reminder to us as the church and as the follower of Christ that the end has not yet come. It's a reminder to us that we still live in a sinful world that is awaiting the kingdom 
of Christ. But it's not the great tribulation, right? What Jesus is talking about in verses 4 to 8 is not the great tribulation. Verse 8, Jesus says, All these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. As bad as the current times are, and as bad as all these things are, it's just a foretaste of the great tribulation that's to come. It's just a foretaste, a flavor of what is to come. It's nothing compared to the seven-year tribulation that is coming. Matthew, the gospel writer, talks about in verses 14 to 29, this great tribulation. And Matthew, our youth leader over here, two different Matthews we're talking about, He did a great job of outlining for us that verses um, 14 to 29, the great tribulation that is is recorded for us here, is a seven-year period. comes out of Daniel and Revelation, um, a seven-year period. And the precursors to this great tribulation, when we see them, they are a great reminder to us that we better be ready for when Christ raptures his church. Because remember what Matthew taught us, this Matthew, Matt, over here. We'll call call Matthew the gospel writer, Matthew, and we'll call Matt the youth leader, Matt. There you go, so we keep it clear. What Matt did a great job of teaching us is that before this seven-year tribulation comes, Christ is going to rapture his church. And that's really what Jesus is talking about when we get down here to verses uh, 40 and 41. Christ is going to rapture his church. That's what you need to be prepared for. When you see the trouble and the tribulation in the current world, and you know that it's nothing compared to the great tribulation that's coming, it's a reminder to you to be prepared. And how do you get prepared? By coming to faith in Christ. By recognizing your sinfulness and that you need a savior and that judgment is coming. Condemnation for this world is coming. For all those who are outside of Christ, judgment is coming. So when you see the horrible things around you every day, it's a reminder that you need to be prepared through the gospel for the coming of Christ. So kind of keep that timeline in mind. You got your current church age that we're living in right now. And then, at some point, and that's the key here, we don't know when, today, tomorrow, next week, next month, 10 years, 30, 100, I have no idea. Nobody knows. That's the point. At some unannounced time, Christ is going to rapture his church. And at that point, you begin the seven years of tribulation, which will be far more excruciating and far exceeding any amount of terribleness that you see right now. And it's after that seven years that you have the second coming of Christ to this earth where he establishes for 1,000 years a literal kingdom that he reigns over on earth. And the re- so when we look at this parable, the reason I bring all this up is when we come back to verse 32 and we see Jesus draw this parable with the fig tree, the events that he's really talking about here, the parable from the fig tree, is verses 14 to 29. 
These are the events that represent the fig tree because it's verses 14 to 29, this great tribulation. When that arrives, that's when you know the return of Christ to establish his kingdom is imminent. So the abomination of desolation, verse 15, the persecutions and judgments of verses 17 to 22, and the false prophets, 23 to 26, the, the signs in heaven, verses 27 to 29. Jesus gives the illustration here in verses 32 and 33 of the fig tree. Just like the physical changes in the fig tree show us that summer is near, in the same way, the events of verses 14 to 29 show us now is the time for the kingdom. Now is the time for the kingdom. The kingdom is, is very near. In verse 32, he says, you can tell what season of the year you are in by looking at the fig tree. It's an illustration for us. Physical changes begin to happen. Things start to take place. It grows leaves. And you know that summer is approaching. And we can relate to this, right? Like, if you know me, you know that I hate winter. Like, I think winter is terrible. People who tell you that they love, they're lying. They're not, nobody really loves winter. I mean, come on, look around. Everything dies, right? Like, the fact that everything dies, the grass turns brown, all the leaves fall off. The fact that everything dies tells you winter is not a good thing. It's God telling you winter is bad. So I know I'm right. But when March comes around, I know I've survived another winter. Because things begin to change, right? The grass starts to get green. There's signs that I'm going to make it to the summer. The, the leaves start to grow on the trees. There starts to be your occasional thunderstorm. It's a physical sign that the seasons are changing. And that's the exact illustration that Jesus draws up. For his disciples here in verse 33 when you see all these things just like the fig tree shows you that summer is near just like nature shows you the seasons are changing when you see all these things you know the times are changing recognize that he Jesus is near right at the door all these things when he says when you see all these things that's verses 14 to 29. When you see all these things in verses 14 to 29, and then you hop down to verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and will gather them together, his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. And we know from Revelation 20, 1 to 4, verses 1 through 4, this begins the 1,000-year reign of Christ and his kingdom on this earth. He says in verse 33, when you see these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. The verses of 14 to 29 show us that the second coming of Christ has arrived. Now, Jesus is going to put a guarantee on it. We should always, always take God at his word and Christ at his word. Everything he says is true and certain. And he's going to put his stamp of certainty. Oh, hey, it worked. Maybe. Oh, yeah, I was hitting the wrong button. See, there we go, Alejandro. Thank you. We're good. 
the certainty, part two, the certainty of his promises. Verses 34 to 35, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Truly I say to you, it's literally the word, amen. If you look at Greek, when he says truly there, it is the word, amen. Jesus wants us to be very clear that he is 100% guaranteeing these things will take place. 100% guaranteeing that this current world system we live in will come down and his kingdom will reign. Verse 34, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So the great tribulation, how long is that going to be? We've said it numerous times. Seven years. So the great tribulation, seven years, that's not a terribly long time, right? Now, I know you're younger, so seven years seems like a long time. Like, for some of you, that's like 50% of your life. But now, at my age, like, seven years is nothing. Like, that's, I don't even think of 10 years as anything now. Like, it's, it's nothing. Seven years, the great tribulation is not going to be a long, drawn-out time. And so what, what Jesus is saying here is that there is a generation of people, this generation, the, the generation that experiences the inauguration of the great tribulation, the, when he says this generation, that's those people who are there when verses 14 to 29 begin to unfold, the great tribulation. So those people will experience three different ages the church age that we live in now the rapture which is an instantaneous thing and then the seven year tribulation and then the 1000 year reign of Christ now they won't be alive the generation won't live the whole 1000 year reign of Christ but between the church age the rapture I'm sorry the church age the great tribulation and the beginning of Christ's 1000 year reign you're talking seven-year period, right? Um, and so one generation, and that's what Jesus is saying here, this generation, the generation that experiences the unfolding of verses 14 to 29, will um, have a foot in all three phases of world history. Now we think, like, how interesting. You see, like, the American Revolution and then kind of at the almost around about the same time, the French Revolution and like just this great turnover in how human beings organize themselves and organize government and organize society. You think, man, how fascinating would it have been to be alive during the American Revolution in that time period? Pretty fascinating, right? Or like the Industrial Revolution. Like when all these machines and steel get in, like how fascinating would it have been to be? Would it would it have been to be alive? And I think really the. Okay, true. Okay, 
Um, the, but even think about our day and age, right? Like, this is a pretty fascinating time to be alive. Like, internet and artificial intelligence and quantum computers and, like, who knows what it's going to be like with the rapid change in technology, like, in 10 years, right? We live in a pretty fascinating age, but how fascinating would it be to, to be this generation that Jesus is talking about here, where you're living in the church age, and, and there's then the seven-year tribulation and the inauguration of his millennial reign on earth. What an interesting time that would be to be alive, right? And for some generation, that is exactly what is going to take place. And how certain are the words of God? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 35, there's nothing more certain. There's nothing more certain than the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We think of this physical world as being so permanent, right? It's hard for us to imagine just how fragile this world actually is. We think of it as being so permanent, but when it comes to God, God can make it all evaporate in an instant. God can make it all go away instantaneously. Think about just the, the Pacific Ocean, right? Like how long does it take to boil a pot of water and make it evaporate? Seems like forever. Like you can turn it on and it just seems like it takes forever for that to boil and go away. In an instant, the whole Pacific Ocean, God could wipe it out. It's amazing, right? Or like the sun, we, we even say like the sun will come up tomorrow, like there's songs about that, right? Like, yeah, the sun will come up tomorrow, tomorrow's another day. One day it won't, like one day this whole world will be gone. Everything you see, like whatever you think of as the most permanent and the most sure fixture of existence in this world, one day it will be gone. No more mountains, galaxies, heaven and earth will pass away. When Jesus says heaven here, he's not talking about spiritual heaven. He's talking about like the galaxies, the stars, the solar system. One day, everything you see around you will cease to exist. God's word alone is eternal, will never be shaken, will never fail. And so as we talk about the end times and study the end times or frankly any component of God's word just know that they are certain they are established and eternal everything that Jesus is saying is certain the future judgment of this earth the future destruction of this earth judgment of sinners in his eternal kingdom and so the question is what are you going to do about it are you going to be ready? Do you believe what Jesus is saying here? Like, do you take him at his word as Jesus himself instructs you, be prepared for his coming. Be prepared for when all this comes to an end. Do you take Jesus at his word? Or do you think, man, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said this. Maybe Jesus was wrong. Do you get lulled to sleep by the fact that it has been 2,000 
years. Because as people, it's easy for us to get lulled to sleep, right? It's easy for us to let our guard down. Like we might, somebody might tell us, be in anticipation of this, and we're like excited, and we're waiting for it, and we're on our guard. But as time passes, we let our guard down, and we start to get complacent. Look at, Peter said, like God knew that this was a very high possibility for us. God knew that with the delay in the return of Christ, people would begin to say, well, maybe this is just never going to happen. So look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 10, where Peter talks about this exact subject. In fact, the heading in my Bible for this section is called the coming day of the Lord. But Peter says, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter's saying exactly what Jesus is warning us against here, that uh, people are going to start to mock because it's been 2,000 years now. It's been so long, and everything just seems to go on as it always has. Like, really take this passage in 2 Peter and compare it to what we're looking at this morning, right? It's like Peter is warning us and reminding us of exactly what Jesus taught. But when people mock about the amount of time that it's been since Jesus promised his return and where we're at today— Peter says this, when they say this, in verse 5, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at the time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And here's a key point. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. You realize God, like time is nothing to God? If if you ever really want your mind bent and confused, just go study time. Like, weren't you just doing a thing on time for school, Fox? Yeah. Yeah. It's confusing, right? Like we think of time as such a simple thing. Like you just look at your clock and it moves forward. But no, it's really complicated. Like beyond comprehension complicated. God created time. Just like he created water and that, the mountains, the ocean, you. He created time. He exists outside of time. Like time is nothing to him. For him, one day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like one day. It's all the same. It's been two days in his mind. No, I mean, that's just an exaggeration. It's time. God exists out of time. And the Lord is not slow about his promises. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. 
And the point that Peter draws here is really the same point that Jesus has for us. In verse 11 of 2 Peter 3, he says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Essentially looking forward to the day of his return. Peter would remind us just what Jesus is teaching us here. Don't fall asleep. Don't be lulled into complacency. And that's verses 36 to 41 that we're going to be looking at here. Jesus is warning us, look, people are going to not take his return serious. People are going to think it's been 2,000 years. Jesus must have not kept his promise. People are going to think that way, and people are going to be lulled to sleep. They're going to become complacent and just go about their lives, just living their everyday life as if, as if this is all there is, and there's nothing to be feared. Verses 36 to 42, but of that day, an, an hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken away and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. People are going to be surprised. It's going to come as a surprise to the world when all this takes place. When is all this going to happen? The Father alone knows, is what Jesus says here. Now, it's a challenging statement for us to make sense out of, right? When Jesus says that he doesn't know, does that strike you as odd that Jesus would say, I don't know? Strikes me as odd. It should strike you as odd. The disciples obviously don't know, and we're fine with that. There's a lot they didn't know. That's why they're asking the questions. The angels don't know, he says, and that's a little weirder, but I'm okay with that, right? Because the angels aren't God, so they don't, they don't possess the attributes of God, so that's fine. But the Son, Jesus, doesn't know? Is Jesus God? Yes, absolutely. Is God omniscient? In other words, omniscient means knows everything. Does God know everything? Yeah, okay. So how can those two things be true? Because there's a trinity. Okay. Well, still doesn't get you out of Jesus is God, and God knows everything, so how does Jesus not know? Something doesn't add up. But what we have here is an important concept when it comes to the life of God, and I'm going to give you the fancy word, which I kind of hate doing because fancy words are nothing but fancy words. Um but we'll do it. It's called the kenosis, okay? The kenosis. And it comes, it's a Greek word, the word kenos, kino, whatever, kino means emptying, the empty out. And it comes from Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where it talks about how Jesus took on the form of man and emptied himself. It's where the word kenosis is used. But let me explain it to you real quick. And what, it helps us know what's going on here with Jesus. 
Here's the first thing you've got to, with solid, just rock-solid certainty, put in your mind. Jesus is 100% God, okay? Forever and eternity past, Jesus is 100% God. As Jesus is speaking in Matthew 24, he's 100% God. And that all points into eternity future, Jesus is 100% God. So get that certainty fixed into your brain. You're not going to ever find a point in time or history where Jesus is not 100% God. But what happened at Christmas, well, we celebrated at Christmas when Jesus was born as a baby. He, being 100% God, also became 100% what? Man. 100% human, which is an odd thing. When Jesus is walking this earth from the time of birth until his ascension after his crucifixion, Jesus is 100% God, yet at the same point, 100% human. And during this time, that he's 100% God and 100% human on this earth, he voluntarily, voluntarily, okay, keep that word in mind, chooses to restrict his and not use his divine attributes. They're still his. So omniscience is the one that comes into play here. It's still absolutely, uh, um, I'm losing the word, attribute of his, But during his time on his earth, even though that attribute of omniscience was 100% his, he chooses voluntarily to live as a normal human. And he would only, and this goes for all his divine attributes, he would only exercise the power of his divine attributes when the Father wanted him to. He would only exercise his divine attributes, including omniscience, in submission to and obedience to the Father when the Father wanted him to. And this typically, we do see it come into play, right? Because we see Jesus perform a lot of miracles. We see Jesus raise people from the dead. We, choose, we see Jesus show his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, over creation numerous times. So he absolutely does take times in his life where he exercises his divine attributes, but that was always done in obedience to the Father and at the will of the Father when the Father wanted him to, typically involving validating his gospel message, glorifying the Father, showing he was sent on the Father's mission. Here's what Jesus never did. Being 100% man, he never exercised his divine attributes for his own purposes, for his own glorification, for his own pleasure. Uh, think about it. He was hungry. Look at the, the way he runs in in John chapter 4. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, is he was tired and thirsty and hungry from walking a long way, Right? He, he, he uh, experienced the same hunger, thirst, tiredness that all of us do. But he never exercises his divine attributes to satisfy his own needs. Like, if I had omnipotence, 
it'd be a lot of, there'd be a lot of problems, a lot of problems. But when I was hungry, I mean, every meal would have been like, I'd probably, I'd start with Texas Day Brazil, like to go light for breakfast, right? Because they got a salad bar and stuff. So I'd go light, but then like Roos Chris for lunch, a Perry's pork. Like if I had the ability to just exercise divine attributes, it would be a mess. Like I would always cave in to the, t- to the temptation to use those things for my own purposes. But Christ only exercised his divinity when he, he did so in obedience to the Father. Does that make sense, the kenosis there? And again, if you want to go read it later, Philippians 2, 5 to 8 is where that people really draw on that from. But with that in mind, for whatever reason, as Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 24, the Father has not made known to him the timing that all this will take place. In which all this so Jesus here is just telling the truth. Sure, Jesus had omniscience as his attribute but he didn't exercise it unless the father wanted him to so you did see times where jesus knew what was in people's heart right like jesus would call people out on what they were thinking and what was on their mind and what was in their heart and it was at those times the father apparently wanted jesus to exercise his omniscience but here for whatever reason the father has not given jesus the command to exercise his omniscience. And so he truly tells them he doesn't know. Now today, as we speak in this very moment, I feel 100% Jesus knows, right? Like Jesus knows when all this is going to take place now today as we speak. But in this time in Matthew 24, where he's speaking with his disciples and his apostles, he does not know. But the bigger point that Jesus is making here in this final section is that we should not be so worried about when this is going to happen. We should be more worried about the reality that it's definitively going to happen. And we should be alert, ready, and prepared. The world will become complacent and fall asleep to this. As his disciples, as his followers, we should not be. But because the world doesn't take serious the coming judgment of God, it just goes about its business, right? It just goes about its business like everything is normal. Like everything is just like it always has been, and it's going to keep being. I mean, even think about like financial planning. When you get older and you decide like, okay, how am I going to plan for finances? The key is you just do what people have always done. The world's sure we're going to have ebbs and like there's going to be recessions and cycles but it'll come back it'll come back we just live as though everything will just keep going on as it always does it's what happened in the times of noah jesus compares it to the time of noah here in verse 37 for the coming of the son of man will be just like the days of noah for as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. And essentially, what he means there when he says people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, they were just going about their business, living life. Like, okay, there's this weird guy over there building an ark. 
He says that, like, God's judgment is coming, but we're just going to go about our business. We don't believe him. We don't take him serious. God's judgment. No. We just go about our business. Eat, drink, marry, and give in marriage. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you think they started to take God's judgment serious at some point? Like when the water was like about up to here? And like you're, done, you're tired of treading water? Was there anything to be done at that point? No. They were outside of the ark. They were totally unprepared. I promise you they took God's judgment real serious. But it was too late. They had missed the opportunity for repentance. The same will happen when it comes to the tribulation. Once the rapture occurs and the tribulation begins, it's too late. In a sense, the doors of the ark have been sealed. It is too late. Verse 39, I'm sorry, 40. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. This is that rapture of the church of Christians before the tribulation. A believer and a non-believer will be out working in the field, in the office, wherever people work. One will be taken and one will be left to face the judgment of God on this earth. Two women one will be grinding, or two women will be grinding, one a believer, one a non-believer. They'll be just going about their lives and about their business. One will be taken, and one will be left. Those who are left are those who are unprepared. The seven-year tribulation is at hand. Peter says, what sort of people ought we to be in light of what we know about the coming judgment of God and the return of Christ. Jesus says in verse 42, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be on the alert. That is really the whole point. We live in anticipation of the certainty that Christ is coming, that these things are coming. And that's where our application flows out from. When we talk about applying all this, the first step, are you saved? Like, the ark is a sense, kind of an illustration, a prefiguring of Christ. Those who were in the ark were safe when God's judgment arrived. When God's judgment arrives at the end of time, those who are safe will be those who are in Christ. Those who have placed their faith in Christ. Those who recognize that their only hope to reconciliation with God, their only hope for salvation from this coming judgment, is in Christ. Are you ready for that? 
That's first and foremost because there's going to come a time when it's too late. When the ark is sealed, judgment is here. And at that point, it is too late. For those who are in Christ, these are the things we're going to have to flesh out in the coming weeks. Be spiritually alert. Like, and I think of this almost as an internal thing. I kind of have an internal and external piece here. Internally, be spiritually alert. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't just go about your life like, hey, every day is just like the last day and it just keeps going and we just go about our lives. No, if you're in Christ, your life should be different. Your life should be lived internally in passionate fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ, growing in him, growing in your spiritual knowledge, growing in truth, anticipating his return. A life of prayer and meditation on his word, having your mind continually renewed by truth. And then there should be an external component. Living, and this is what, we, again, we're going to flesh this out. This is just kind of laying the foundation of a concept. But living in anticipation, your external life, are you serving the church? Do you tell others about Christ? Are you helping others be prepared for the return of Christ? Our lives should be radically altered. John talks about how when we have our hope in Christ, it radically alters the way we live our behavior, our priorities, the things that are important to us. Peter talks about what sort of people ought we to be as we live in eager anticipation of the return of Christ. These are the truths that should radically change our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the promise of your return, that you don't keep us blind to your plans you don't keep us ignorant of your purposes you might not give us the times but you definitely give us the certainty of what will take place and you give us the certainty of how we should live in light of those realities and i pray lord that um, unlike the people who lived around noah at the time i pray that we would be more like noah and take your promises serious your promise of salvation your promise of judgment and that those realities would alter every aspect of our being and it's in christ's name we pray amen